Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I am super happy to be here, joined in the studio by none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? Yo, okay, here we go. <laughs> yes, here we go. <laughs> Our guest this week is, is Mara Thomas, and she, uh, this, is, this is actually a really great interview. She's the author of the new book, Attention Management. I really enjoy this. She listens to the show, so thanks for listening, Mara. Uh, but this book is all about how you can't, and the interview subsequently, which is about the book, is all about how you really can't manage your time. You can only manage your attention and all of the ways that modern society is stacked against you in, in, in managing your attention. So it's uh, it's a pretty fascinating, if, if you are ending like me, where you feel sort of held hostage by all of the things in your life that seek your attention, whether it's a constant barrage of emails or social media, uh, you know, your phone in general, open office plans, which we now know from the from the radio show, are just a terrible, terrible thing when it comes to deep work. Yeah. Uh, all of those, all of those elements combined, we no longer have control over our lives. And or, or I mean, sorry, we have control over our lives. We no longer have control over our attention. And uh, Mara has all kinds of tools for how to do that. She does this. She was written the book, but she also does consulting for all kinds of companies for how to uh, help their help their employees do deep work. How to help all of their top executives do deep work. And you know, it's. It, it's really funny. One of the big solutions is to go back to the things of yesteryear, where instead of having these jacks of all trades everywhere, you have people that specialize. So, uh, you know, don't have your salesmen do their expense reports. You need to have an assistant for your salesman, and your salesmen need to be out there doing what they do, which is closing deals. You know what's interesting about the whole deep work thing, and, and Cal Newport, uh, who you've also uh, interviewed, mm-hmm. I wrote wrote the book Deep, you know, Deep Work, and I'm 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 very anxious to hear uh, to hear Mara's interview because. The whole attention thing is just wild these wild. days. But, you know, it, it's we didn't even need to book deep work. or didn't even need the, the phrase. I don't even think it existed. Right. Back when, uh, and you lived in the, in the days without cell phones and stuff. But when I worked for, for Entertainment Tonight, right? So I went in there, and then I got out at one. And then I went to a production studio. I had like a little 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 studio in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the basement, basically, mm-hmm. you know. And and I was wrapped around like keyboards and video and stuff, and so I just I wrote music for like I don't know seven or eight hours, and a lot of it never got published or anything. But there was just not there was there was no email, right? right. There right. was there were no distractions, right. and so that's and and I you know I I try to get back to that now, even when I was writing this book, and I'm like I you have to sort of, you have to almost get a tent with no you know and go, and go go to the beach you know right. and, and because there's just there's no way to set up a situation where you can do deep work that's so funny because uh, you know what, we'll play a clip from the interview real fast because she talks about that she wrote a response to somebody uh, who had written an op-ed in the New York Times who did, who said exactly that the only way he can get work done is by going to his office his satellite office that he has in the Catskills because there's no internet and no distractions up there and basically her point is you bring the distractions with you wherever you go you don't you can unplug the internet in your house you don't need to have the internet on. You can turn that function off on your phone. You can make your computer just have you, you, Microsoft Word or, or some kind of uh, um, word processing program can be on your computer that doesn't require the internet, and you can just type. You can do that if you want to, but we feel powerless against this barrage of information. We can, and, and, and this book and this interview is all about taking that power back. I wrote a response to an op-ed in the New York Times once about this author who was like, yeah, I have to go up to my cabin in the Catskills to get anything done. Mm -hmm. And I got so worked up about that. It's the same thing. It's like, well, the emails keep coming in. Well, close your email. Yeah. Uh, yeah, (laughs) Right. And then you're not distracted by it. Don't, you don't have to go to your 
office in the Catskills where there's no internet, just unplug your internet, right? Just right. work offline. Just shut the internet off on your computer. We be we behave. That's another part of our problem is that we behave as if we are at the mercy yeah. of our technology and our environment. And in fact, we can control all of that. We just don't. Yeah, so there you have it, right? So we we really do. We need to take that power back. But but you, but you know what? But you know what? It's it's one of those things where yeah, okay, I can uh, you know you take your uh, your lack of attention with you, but it's almost like I have never done heroin, but I've <laughs> talked I've talked to people who have, and once that genie is out of the bottle, right. once, once you know that it's there, it's mm-hmm. almost like we we had a piece on the radio show recently where. It was, you know, they, they tried to see what was more distracting when you were doing a task. They had two groups of people, right? And they, and they gave them these tasks. And, and one group, uh, they, they uh, without telling what was going to happen, they rang, they told them to keep their phones on, right? And they rang the phone. Right. But they were told not to, you know, not to answer it, just uh-huh. to keep doing it. The other group was told just to leave their phone on vibrate. And there was no difference. In, really? Yeah, there was no difference at all because... It, it it generated the same amount of anxiety of what you know who was that what even though you're you're committed to doing the task there's like okay I'm, I'm missing something well you and I so you and I have similar personalities in this we are very easily distractible but we also get hyper focused on certain tasks for 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 periods of time where like um, we go down rabbit holes I've seen you do it when it comes to programming synthesizers or you know it, it happens. Uh, but you know that feeling of when you're trying to get to that deep workplace, that state of flow, and everything dings. It, it's not the two seconds of the ding that bother you. It's not even the 10 seconds of a quick phone conversation or replying to a text. It's the subsequent five to 10 minutes it takes right. to put it away, put that part of your brain away, and get back into the thing. Right. Whatever, that, whatever that thing is, whatever that yeah. task is. The, the, um, the amount of mental energy that you've wasted in that process it, it is 10 minutes. And by the way, in the 10 minutes it takes to get back into the focus, another text message is going to come in yeah. and take you right yeah. out of it again yeah. and so that you never really get into that state of flow. It's why so many, and we talk about this in the interview, it's why so many CEOs get up at 4.30 or 5 right. o'clock every yeah. morning yeah. because there, nobody's expecting you to reply at 5 o'clock. You can just, you can just have that time. Yeah. And I like to work late. After I put my kids to bed, I work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a real prolif- proliferation of these places that and I, I belong to one of them called Industrious. It's like a WeWork place. Right. And you go in there and they have these, they actually have these rooms. It's almost like solitary confinement. Right. They're called focus rooms. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much, how much more, uh, how much more work you can get done uh, with that. You know, he's, uh, before we get to the, um, to the interview, there is, uh, speaking of, uh, of our brains and attention and, and, and attention, there, we know that you know doing math and playing chess and listening to music are mm-hmm. ways to exercise your brain, but there is another way, and that is to listen to a story. Oh, and yeah. we've certainly seen your kids go through this. So my oldest be, in particular, yeah, uh, and you make up uh, stories mm-hmm. all the time for them, and and they just they just even even when they know it's fictional, they're just mm-hmm. locked in. So it could be a podcast or an audio book, according to researchers at UC Berkeley. When we listen to a story, it activates areas across the entire brain. Because uh, listening to and then following the story, right, it uses all kinds of different functions. So brain regions that govern spatial reasoning, social interaction, emotional responses, and visual imagery. And a lot of the stories I hear you tell also evoke, um, and this is why, why it's great for kids to read fiction. A lot of parents don't think it is, but empathy for the characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the great thing about fiction and, and good nonfiction as well is that you really put yourself into the, and you've been writing this book. Uh, which, by the way, you know, you can, we'll, we will let you know if you sign up at Tesh.com for our emails, you can find out when the book is actually going to come out. I think you're aiming for March, right? March 2020. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, but, but in writing this book, you know, you, you want to paint the picture. You want to let people sit and see themselves in you and see you in themselves. And, and, and a good fictional protagonist is like that no matter what. Um, you know, that's that even anti-heroes where, where they, they're emotionally or, or, um, or morally flawed, you still see yourself in that person. And that empathy is, is a great muscle to have in your brain. And it's something that, that we need more of. So I, I know a lot of people justify only reading um, nonfiction because, oh, I, I really like history. But you do. You need to find good fiction out there. And that's why, like, when people find an author that they like, they just ride that author until, yeah, they, like, yeah, that's why, you know, yeah. Tom Clancy can't write enough books. Oh, my gosh, he's because amazing. Because people that like Tom Clancy, these are the same people that yeah. will be reading history yeah. review, um, history uh, books, you know, nonfiction history memoirs, et cetera, uh, are reading Tom Clancy because they can get the same, it can scratch the same itch, but it, in a way right. more extreme way. Yeah. I got locked into two, uh, two, two authors that I shouldn't have been anywhere near. One was Yerzy Kaczynski. Who, uh, who wrote uh, Blind Dates and Cockpit, and he also wrote Being There, mm-hmm. which was that, w- which was is a, a very, movie. very popular, popular movie. But uh, but Anne Rice and all the vampire. Oh movies. yeah, <laughs> like what's why wrong I, with that? Because I, it was just it got it got to the point where it was so dark, but so but so well written. Same yeah. as same with Stephen King. Yeah, you know, I, look, of, I, yeah. I you know I like dark. I like the I, uh, we we try to avoid talking about this, but I liked the Joker movie. I thought it was fantastic. No, we avoid talking about it on the radio. Yeah, show well, because kids are listening. But I but I think kids might be listening to this too. But I thought the Joker movie was incredible. There is a great. Uh, it it is dark. It is extremely dark. Extremely violent. But it is a really interesting picture of a man struggling with mental illness. And there's a great line in the movie where he, he's writing in his journal and he says the hardest, I'm paraphrasing, the hardest thing about mental illness is uh, people expecting you to act like you don't have it. And oh, it's a really yeah. great point. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, I, you know, any, any, there you have a very unsympathetic character that you can't help but feel bad for even in his violence, uh, even in his embracing of chaos. And when he, it, 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 I don't want to give anything away, but... Um, everybody kind of knows what the Joker is anyway. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, the, just being able to find that empathy, is, it's, it's eye-opening and it makes you see how other people live and it can be, uh, it can help you engage in, in broader empathy and I love it. By the way, since we're, before we get to more, since we're doing movie reviews, just you, you must see... Oh, you love this thing. You must see Racing in the Rain. Um, it's not, it's, it is a movie about racing, yes, a little bit, but it's a movie about a, about a man and his dog. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's not, it's just so unbelievably well-written. And you know what we were out, we were on, we, you were having a little, uh, birthday, uh, celebration. Your wife took you out, uh, for, you know, for an evening. And so we took care of the kids. And so we sat down and, and, and we're just going through, you know, we wanted to find animal movies Mm -hmm. because they love the, they love the, the, um, you know, all that stuff on, uh. On Netflix, yep. right? Uh, yeah, the British, all the, the all the Blue Planet, yeah, right, and right, the Animal right, right. Planet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Planet Earth, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. And so, you know, we're searching for animals, and we came upon this thing. It's oh, this is about a dog. That's an animal. Let's watch this. But it's so unbelievably deep and wonderful. I mean, yeah. It just yeah. So Hiram, who listens to this all the time, Hiram Lazar, you gotta you gotta see this movie because you want to get your uh, get your book report. Okay, please, we have gotta get to uh, uh, this book, Attention Management. And, uh, set set up more. And Go real ahead. fast, well, I, there's a there's an app that I love, and then for me, if you want to talk about getting your attention back, and I know it's an app, and what it is, what it is, it's called Brain FM. Uh, they, oh, this is great. I, I use this. Yeah, they're yeah. not a sponsor of the show, but they use AI generated music to uh, get your brain waves into position. There's also another. Um, another company that we're trying to get the the PhD that developed the technology that creates an electromagnetic field across your brain that helps you learn information faster. 
Um, but there's all kinds of stuff you can do to hack your brain to get the attention back. And Brain FM is one of them that uh, that I really like. So anyway. What, no, but wait, one, one, one quick thing, because I, I, this reminds me of a piece we just had on the show a couple of days ago where I think it was a, a study at Berkeley and, Har- and Harvard where, and I have found this to be true, I cannot listen to music, whether it's instrumental music mm-hmm. or singing, whatever. A lot of people think they can do that and uh, and actually write, right? Mm-hmm. And, or, or, do, or do work. They, they came out with this thing where they, they did a study of a thousand people and they found out that listening to music, we're not talking about the music from Brain FM because right. that, that's engineered as, you know, it's almost like trance music, right? right? exactly. But, but like pop songs or oh, even yeah. jazz, especially jazz because it's complicated or even big band stuff you are not going to be as productive when you're listening to music. It's, wild. it's better to have silence. Especially as a musician, too. Because uh, you're trying I, to figure I, out what the chords are. Right. As yeah. a musician, you know, they've, they've done brain scan studies. Oh, my gosh, we're going to get to the interview, I promise. But they've done brain scan studies of musicians while they are... This uh, is useful, though. I know. Yeah. I, well, they, well, while they're listening to music, and where a casual listener will have their, their, their creative artistic side will get stimulated by, by the music, a musician will have their whole brain stimulated because exactly what you said. In addition to enjoying the music as a piece of art, they're also enjoying the music and 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 analyzing it with their with their left brain and putting the putting everything together. It's like going to a movie with you and and, and, and Connie. You guys are looking at the acting. You and you know, and, 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 and I'm, I'm listening to the uh, to the music score. Yeah. And and we're not, we're not enjoying the movie. Uh, yeah, 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 that's yeah. how I that's, enjoy that, it. That's how you have to watch it. You have to watch it two or three times. Yeah. Okay. Great. Go ahead. Set this up. Okay. Before so people here's throw, Maura Thomas. Throw stuff at us. We're talked a lot about focus. Talked a lot about brain health. Here she is. She's going to talk to you about uh, why time management is a myth, but attention management is what we really need to be focused on. Maura Thomas, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your time today. We are just we are really excited to have you with us. I am excited to be here. Thanks, Gib. So y- your new book is Attention Management, uh, and and the subtitle, which I, I agree with, is Breaking the Time Management Myth uh, for Unrivaled Productivity. Just finish. Uh, and I, I have my theory as to why I think this is really important. I, I'll just say it. First and foremost, I think we had this expectation that technology would begin to allow, would open all of these doors for us and make us able to be as productive as our you know, parents and grandparents were 50 years ago from the comfort of our bed on our phone. Like that's, that's the, that's the uh, what's the word? Uh, that's the ideal. But what has happened instead is it has just completely destroyed our brains. Um, and and so I guess first and foremost, we need to talk about what the difference between attention management and time management are. Absolutely. Every single person who has ever walked the face of the planet has had the same amount of time. So <laughs> yeah. I like to mo- say Beyonce has as many hours in a day as I do and look what she's it's, able to accomplish. Right, exactly. And the truth is we... People see the path, or we we as a society have have seen the path to productivity as being time management. If right. I could just manage my time better, then I would be more productive. But it's not about time because everybody's had the same amount of time. People who are way more productive mm-hmm. than than you are than I am maybe have had the (laughs) same 24 hours. And when we talk, when I ask people, what does it mean to you to manage your time? First of all, most people sort of stumble. Uh, I don't really know. Well, I guess making appointments with myself, right? Right, right. I guess just scheduling my time at nine o'clock, I'm going to do this. And at 10 o'clock, I'm going to do this. But that doesn't work either. Because number one, who's the first person you're going to break an appointment with? Yourself. You, you, yeah, obviously, because yeah, there's no exactly. consequences for it. That's right. And then, 
And the second problem is that even if you did manage your time and you said at nine o'clock, I'm going to do that thing. If, if that time goes by and you, even if you pull up that thing that you need to do, but then somebody interrupts you and you deal with that and then mm -hmm. a new email comes in and you right. deal with that and then your phone goes off and then you deal with that, the time still passes because you can't really manage time. You can't slow it down. You can't say, okay, nine o'clock actually starts now. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Right, you can't roll it back. You can't get more of it. You can't bend it to your will in any way. And so number one, time is not our problem. And number two, even if we could manage it, it only matters to the extent that we also give our attention to the thing that we need. Right. And the path to productivity can't be time management because time isn't our problem. Our right. problem in the 21st century is distraction. 100%. And so you can't solve distraction with a time management problem. The antidote to distraction is attention. And so attention management needs to be the solution or the new path to productivity, as I like to call it. Right. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, you know what? That's I think that's why uh, so many CEOs, uh, super successful billionaire CEOs, are the, are get up so early. Um, and and I because you can you can control your attention better at five o'clock in the morning because there's not as many people up and there's not as many things that are pulling on your attention at nine a.m my inbox starts to flood. And now I'm not being proactive, I'm being reactive. And my attention is on whatever people want me to put my attention on, not what I want to do. Exactly. But that's the same thing to me. I read, an, uh, I, I wrote a response to an op-ed in the New York Times once about this author who was like, yeah, I have to go up to my cabin in the Catskills to get anything done. Mm -hmm. And I got so worked up about that. It's the same thing. It's like, well, the emails keep coming in. Well, close your email. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you're not distracted by it. Or don't You don't have to go to your office in the Catskills where there's no internet. Just unplug your internet, right? Just right. work offline. Just shut the internet off on your computer. We be we behave. That's another part of our problem is that we behave as if we are at the mercy yeah. of our technology and our environment. And in fact, we can control all of that. We just don't. Yeah. So uh, how do we do that in a world where I don't want to say seconds matter, but for a lot of us, like like I, I, I would love to batch my emails and to do emails only during certain hours of the day. However, there are often things that come in that need uh, more or less immediate response. How do I train the people in my life to accept that I will be batching emails and if it's an emergency that needs immediate response, find another method of communication? There are two ways to train other people. One is implicitly and one is explicitly. So... <laughs> Right. So implicitly, you can train them by their behavior. Right. Because I bet that, you know, somebody in your life who doesn't get back to you immediately by email yeah. or even by phone. Or, or Right. I bet you the people that you interact with, you kind of know. How, mm -hmm. Right. If I text her, she'll get right back to me. If I email her, I'll have to wait till tomorrow. Whatever. Right. We, we know that about the people that we interact with and they know that about us. Mm. So we can train them just like those other people are training you by in the way that you interact. Sure. That, so that's implicitly. Explicitly, you could put a line in your email signature that says, I only check email periodically throughout the day. However, if this is more timely, please call me or whatever you want them to do. Right. 
Well, I, uh, it's 2019. I I don't take phone calls. I only accept text messages. Who calls? It's you know unless unless there was a fire. I don't I don't answer the phone call. The no, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> just no. I'm just saying. You know, I, I, I it's it's a wild time where where when people call me like who the heck is calling me right now? Just text. Um, yeah. So why do you think? Why do you think we have allowed ourselves to get this distracted? Cause I, I don't feel like we ever I, we ever made this decision that uh, that our attention would be fractured in this way. I mean, I'm just thinking about how I uh, just thinking about how driving has has even shifted over time, right? Like our our approach to uh, we, nobody's comfortable sitting in their car, just sitting in traffic or and listening to the radio anymore. You've got to be texting, listening to the radio, listening or listening to a podcast. And uh, you, you just can't, we can't shut that off. And and where did we where did we start to lose? Where did the where did the wheels start to come off of that bus? Yeah, I know I know exactly where the wheels came off. Well, you're right in that. And I would re- just rephrase what you said. Or in in that we have gotten to the point that for most of us, doing only one thing at a time is super boring. Right. Right. And and that's horrible because we we not are not at the point in the world yet where focus singular focus isn't useful mm-hmm. <laughs> right it's even in things like you know driving a right well, it, ton yeah. piece of equipment that you could kill somebody else with right mm-hmm. um, but where i think the problem came in is because you know, a lot of people talk about technology addiction, right? 100%. I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm going to leave addiction to the professionals. Oh, but what well, I, I will do- look, I am as the host, I can make wild, uh, wild assertions. I'm not an expert. I will say that I am without a doubt addicted to my smartphone because I will check it and have it with me at times when it's detrimental to my priorities in life, which I believe is the clinical definition of a of a of an addiction. So I will have it on me right. and I will check my phone. Uh, what is it? Uh, subconsciously, you know, during a kid's soccer game, when I would much rather, I mean, my priority structure in my brain is that being present for my kid's soccer game is the priority. But yet, I am mindlessly checking my phone for no reason on a Saturday morning. Why am I doing that? That is an addiction. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, you can define, you can <laughs> diagnose, and I will allow you to do that because you're right. I think exactly what you described is the clinical definition of of addiction. But if I if I go a little bit broader and not to diagnose anybody else, what I can say though is that we have become habituated sure. to distraction. Sure. Right. So our technology is designed specifically. I mean, you've. You're probably familiar with persuasive technology and the influence lab at Stanford and and the, um, you know, all of the sort of psychological tricks that technology developers are engaging to keep us interacting with our technology. Right. The, The job of the Internet is to keep you on the Internet. Yeah. Which is right. And it's very good. It is very good at it. It is. And the success metric of an app is how often you use the app, yeah. right? How long you stay in it, how, how much you come back to it. And they are, you know, these huge technology companies are dedicating their resources to figuring out, you know, behavioral psychology. How can they get us even more in, right. interacting even more? So the thing is, is that we are for sure habituated to distraction. We get a distraction every few minutes. Mm-hmm. And so not only is it a habit, so so distraction then becomes a habit, but then it's a habit that gets reinforced every right. few minutes all day long. Right. So it becomes this really, really ingrained habit that you can't just 
stop doing no. because right it's like you can't be like smokers aren't like i'm going to smoke from from three to five every day but other than that i'm not going to smoke right, right? like it's, <laughs> right. it's a habit and you, you have a hat you take habits with you to your kid's soccer game and to home at night and on the weekends and on vacation and so even when we don't want to do it it's just a habit and I bet half the time when you're at your kid's soccer game and you're just, like you said, mindlessly tapping your phone, you probably don't even recognize no, that you're tapping your phone, right? I don't. It's just in your hand and you just, we randomly tap on these things all day long to check in with stuff. And so, yeah, we, we have become habituated to distraction and the technology companies did that on purpose. And I don't say that to say that they're evil, right? It's just oh, the I'll nature say it. I think it's, I think in. it's evil. <laughs> Well, as I understand it, some of the people, and since we're maybe not being very nice, I won't mention any names, but some, the people who sort of started this idea of persuasive technology got into it to influence um, health outcomes and mm -hmm. to engage, help us engage in healthy habits, which was great. But, you know, anything that's used for good can also be used for evil right. Often, often, right? So, so I think that's what happened is that is that it was like, oh, we can help people, you know, lose weight or take more breaks. Well, then we can get them to tap on likes more often mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to, you know, right. So I think that's, that's the problem is that we're habituated. And then for some people that habit, certainly as you described, leads to addiction. Yeah, I, I, it, it absolutely does. I mean, for me, again, I, I agree with you. We're not going to make blanket statements. It feels evil to me. It feels like I'm being manipulated and I can't do anything about it. And when I look at the data, um, and I know that, again, these companies have every right to do what they're doing. I just feel, I feel taken advantage of and I feel powerless about it. And I'll tell you the number one time when I do it. One of the things that I do, uh, and uh, I have an iPhone is the brand of phone I have, and, and it has a... Um, app tracker it'll track how much you're using all of these different apps yep and what i'll see is if i'm if i'm spending more time doing something unproductive if i'm spending more time doing instagram over email or if i'm doing more time on uh, on twitter versus you know my workout apps then i will delete the app and what i find is temp temporarily i'm not, <laughs> I'm not a um but i'll delete the app and then i and then i will still for like a for days mindlessly go to check that app and i and it's yep. not until the app isn't there that i realize oh my gosh i just got really far into this process before i even realized what i was doing it's helpful to not have the app there because because that is sort of the wake up call it breaks me out of that moment but it is it is insane to me um uh, Absolutely. And and you, by the way, are using, may, maybe purposely, but maybe without knowing, a really tried and true um, technique to overcome a habit, which is to create, I call it creating friction. Right. I'm not sure if that's the technical term, but like if you can throw up some sort of barrier to make it harder for you to engage in that habit, right. then it makes you go, oh, right, I'm trying not to do that anymore. And then, yeah. and so you you don't, but there, and there just has to be like, it's not that hard to download the app again. Right. Yeah. But it's like, no, 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 I did that for a reason. So now I'm not going to do it. Well, it's, it's like the, and then that helps to remind you. It's like the, I think it's called the 32nd rule I've heard from, from the other parts. 20 second. The twenty second rule, Sean uh, Sean Acor. Yes, that is is the uh huh. I know. So I interviewed him, and he talked about this, where it's you make your bad habits twenty seconds harder, and your good habits twenty seconds easier. That's right. And yeah. and so like uh, so examples uh, would be putting your gym clothes out the night before, so that it's that 
there that just that one process makes it that much easier for you to get in bed get out of bed i mean in the morning and get to the gym and then uh may put your uh put your social media apps on the like the last page of your apps so you just have to scroll a little bit farther and takes a little bit more time to get to it just gives your brain that much more time to break the subconscious part of it Yep. And you can make it so that you can't automatically log in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, that's a great way to think of it as the 22nd rule. I'm a fan of Sean Acor's, um, that's the principle of activation energy is to make, make things that you want to do easier. And like I said, I call it friction to make the things Mm -hmm. that you want to avoid a little bit harder. So, I mean, okay. So that's super, super yeah, it's a super simple way to remember, but so that's, that's one step. What are some other steps that we can start to employ uh, to or some other tactics that we can use to start to reclaim our attention away from these subconscious attention hogs. Yeah, when you said I feel powerless and I'm kind of angry with these companies, I that's why I wrote this book and it's why I'm so excited about this book, Attention Management, because the whole reason I wrote it is to is to make people feel more empowered. Because right. the truth is. We can only let these technology companies do this to us. They can only do it to us if we let them, right? right. And so, and so, if we regain control of, over our technology, then we are back in the driver's seat. And so, right. we can use all sorts of techniques, right? Like I would suggest, when you go to your son's soccer game, leave your phone in the car. Wow, that is that is mind blowing. I just don't know if I could do that. <laughs> like you say that, and my part of my body is panicking at the idea. Of like, oh no, 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 we can't. We leave the phone in the car. What? No way. Um, so I like, I like my my brain is coming up with a thousand excuses for why I can't do that. But you're absolutely right. Like it's such a simple solution. Yeah, and um, you know, all of your technology it can be controlled, right? We can shut off our push notifications because that's push mm-hmm. notifications are a result of persuasive technology, right? It's how can I get you to open the app again. Oh, I know. I can send you a message on your home screen that says you should open this app for whatever reason because you have likes, because you have messages waiting, mm-hmm. because you got a badge, because, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and it's not only that the push notification is the persuasive technology, it's that like they're, they're it's social proof, it's um, intermittent right. reinforcement, like, oh, you have seven new likes since you just logged off or um, your friend wants you to log back in or, you know, all, all of these mm-hmm. crazy things, but they can't manipulate us. If we don't see the push notification, so mm. just allowing. But thinking about thinking about it this way, I think that as a society we have forgotten that we have our technology to serve us. Right. Right. It's it's for our convenience, not mm. so everyone in the world can interrupt us all the time. And so you know, put on the push notification that tells you that it's time to leave for your appointment because that serves you. Right. But the, to me, that's the um, the test. When an app says we want to send you push notifications, ask yourself, will those push notifications be to serve me or to get me to open the app or to do something else with the app for no for no reason that benefits me? Right. Right. And, and if it's to benefit you, right, I have a travel app that says like your gate changed or whatever. Great. I want that. That mm-hmm. serves me. But, um, oh, quote unquote, breaking news that really isn't breaking news. And even if it were, I still don't need to be interrupted to find out what it is. Mm -hmm. That one serves the app, not me. Shut that off. Mm. So that's a really great test. And I think you'll find that probably, you know, 97 out of 100 apps 
the push notifications are there for the app, not for you. Oh, more. I just thought of of like 10 things that I'm going to shut off as soon as we're done with this interview. Like I was just like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't need to know about like 10 tips or tricks to uh, for the new iPhone OS to be pinged to my phone. I can seek that out if I want to see it. I don't need the ping. Um, I do want the ping of like there's a fire in your area or, you know, the right. the the premiere of of Cutter has been deposed. Like I want to know that stuff. But I don't need I don't need the um, I don't need to know about like ninety percent of what I'm getting. Yes, and I would challenge you because probably at some point you're going to sit down to pick up some news, and that's where you're going to find out that the king of Qatar has been deposed. So, right, because there's nothing you can do. It's right interrupting you in the middle of doing something else is not really going to serve you to know that. Right. Right, right. This minute, you want to know, you want to be informed, but probably at some point you're going to see the news anyway, and you're gonna, you're gonna get that. So, 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 ask yourself, and then maybe ask yourself again, <laughs> who's the <laughs> serving? And like, if I were in the middle of the best moment of my life, would I want to be, you know, would I, or, or, you know, use your your son's soccer game? If I were in the middle of my son's soccer game and I really wanted to be present, or my child, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but my child's soccer game, and I really wanted to be present for that Mm -hmm. do i need do i need this notification yeah yeah i mean that's just that's just like basic priority matrix that you just gave me and i cannot believe how unbelievably powerful it is and and insightful and how much it makes me rethink uh it makes me rethink all of the things that i'm that i do autonomically that i do uh just without without even thinking so 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 far definition of a habit i know right so, so far, yeah. in order to break these habits, we're talking about the increased friction. So we add add time that it takes to do some of the habits that we know we want to break. And then in order to know what habits we want to break, we want to reevaluate our priorities and really ask ourselves, is are we serving the technology or is the technology serving us? Which is um, incredibly simple, but also incredibly profound. What, what, what else can we do? It's hard to make progress. Like, for example, sometimes the task ahead of us, the task in front of us right now is to like deal with our email because for most of us, I think there's this sort of this love-hate relationship with email Mm -hmm. because people are like, oh, I could get so much work done at work if only there weren't email. But it's like, yes, until you're caught up and then without email, you probably wouldn't have any more work, right? Because most of our work comes to us through email. Most of our professional tasks come to us, especially if you're self-employed, right? right? You get all your stuff through email. And so I think we need to think about email as work. And a lot of people don't do that. E- mm-hmm. Email, once you get rid of the junk and you should definitely have filters and all that kind of set up, stuff set up. Um, but but, e- but then you have to think about email is work. And if you recognize that email is work, then it becomes a little bit easier to recognize that you need to create time in your day to do that work. Mm-hmm. Because most people treat email as this thing that they will do in between work, right? Like on the way to the meeting, I'll check my messages or like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I get back from the meeting, as soon as I ch- hang up the phone, I'll just check and see if there's anything urgent. And, and if it's not urgent or if I can't delete it fast, then everything else can wait until later. Mm-hmm. But most people never create later. 
right? right. Like there's, there is no ever later because we don't think of email as work. So if email is work, then you have to create time in your day to do that work. And so sometimes you're sitting at your desk and the task in front of you is to do the work that is in your email inbox. Mm-hmm. And, but the mistake that we make is that, and this is another way to control your technology, which is sort of the umbrella that we're under right now. Right. Um, you can't, you can't make progress on your email if every time you read one, a new one comes in, right? Because most of us have it sorted so that the newest is on top. Right. And so you read the one that's on top, and then as soon as you finish reading that one, there's another one on top. Oh, gosh. It's like you're describing my life. Right. right? And so that would be like saying your job is to dig a hole, right? That is your job. And okay. every time you shovel dirt out of the hole, I stand beside you and throw it back in. Stop doing that. Right. And so one of the things you need to do is work in offline mode Mm. when even when you're working in your email, you got to go in offline mode or or you could also sort by oldest to newest. And then you won't necessarily see those new messages, depending on how many messages. If you're one of those people who has five messages, you'll see every new one that comes in and that won't help. But if you have 200 messages, then you won't see the new one that comes in if it's sorted oldest to newest. So those are two techniques. Right. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's phenomenal. So in in addition to, okay, so I I just have a hard time that my problem again is that, um, and I, and I hear, I heard you say earlier that I, what I need to do is extrinsically and intrinsically, um, or explicitly and implicitly train the people in my life that, that I'm going to be batching my email from now on, that I'm going to have certain times of the day where I do it. And the rest of the time I'm going to be just, I'm going to be doing the actual tasks that need to be done, um, beyond the actual email. So I, I, right. I get that. Um, and if people need me, if people need me urgently, then text me and tell me, hey, I sent you an email with X, Y, and Z in it. You need to respond to that. Um, and and, and that's, I, I, that's so so simple, but it feels so daunting. But I, at the same time, like once I, once I can ingrain that habit, I feel like it'll, it'll change a lot. Um, we, we've talked a lot about the technological implications of productivity, but I know you do a lot of organizational coaching for for organizations, which is why I said organizational coaching, um, where you, where you, where you train people in, in some of their attention management techniques. What do you see as like the biggest hurdle for these organizations to transition from the kind of incorrect notion of time management into this idea of attention management? One of the biggest challenges is that a lot, I work with leaders a lot. And when I go into their organization to do training, or at least in the, in the calls that we have leading up to me going in to do the training, what we find out is that oftentimes it's the culture that is creating the, the problems Mm. or it's, it's underscoring the habits that people, it's like underlining, emphasizing the, the habits, the detrimental habits that their team has. So for example, a lot of companies are big on open offices now. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, for a while, you know, companies tried to get away with this nonsense that it's, oh, but it's so good for collaboration and blah, blah, blah. The reason that they did it is because it saves on real estate costs. And, right. <laughs> you know, that that's important. And you sure, you have to minimize your overhead. But our people need to use their brains sometimes. I mean, the thing that I ask leaders when I go in and I speak to a group of leaders, I ask them, does any of the work that your staff does for you, for your company, does any of that work require more than two minutes of sustained attention? Right. And if it's the case, then we got to get rid of the open floor plan. 
Well, you don't have to get rid of the open floor plan. It's it's not necessarily the floor plan itself. It's the implementation. It's, right. you know, we're focusing on collaboration and teamwork, but we're forgetting that important focus work or as Cal Newport says, deep work yeah. is important too. And so if that's important and perhaps more important, especially in some, you know, in, in really high sort of brain activity, knowledge work jobs, like um, you know, advertising firms where creativity is super important or law firms, uh, analysis, you know, any mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff, you need some, you, you need focus time. And so one of the things that you could do is um, make it so that the open area is the quiet place. And if you need to talk to somebody or get on the phone or in any other way, make noise, you need to go somewhere else. Mm. So that's one option. Another option is that some people will pipe in like white noise or something. So there's sort of that, you know, that, you know, every little sound, you can't hear that as much. And then people have some sort of signal that says, please don't interrupt me right now, whether Mm -hmm. it's a flag on their cubicle or headphones or a do not disturb Mm -hmm. um, sign, you know, whatever it is, it's giving people control over their environment, Mm -hmm. even in an open office to say, I need you to not interrupt me right now. But companies make um, another problem that they create is that most people now have more than one computer screen, usually provided by the company, right? Mm -hmm. By the Okay, so I'm new at your office, right? And I'm walking around and I'm shaking everybody's hand and I see everybody has two computer monitors. And when I look at what's on the computer monitor, it's usually, you know, work, right? A spreadsheet or a document or some sort of, you know, dashboard, company dashboard or something is on one computer screen and email is on the other computer screen. Yep, 100%. That's exactly, yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Right? Yep. And it's so... and. And and so I'm walking around shaking everybody's hand, seeing all these two computer screens, seeing what everybody how everybody uses it. I get the message immediately, first day on the job, okay, this is how we do things. Please, um, you know, I'll wait for my two computer screens to come to my desk so that I can set mine up like that. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that they do that is another problem that they created, which is that fast response equals good customer service. Right. And if fast response equals good customer service, well, then the ultimate conclusion of that is that immediate must be best. Right. Right. And, and, so uh, I mean, and honestly, it's a metric that is ingrained in all of the customer service software, you know, software as a solution yeah. systems. They all say fa- they, they all have that metric as the number one metric of what is the response time. Even Facebook, right. if you have a if you have a public facing account, will um, rates your responsiveness uh, to messages. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, and and again, it's not necessarily the policy, it's the implementation. For example, if you feel like you need to have immediate response times to email, I think in most cases, email is not designed to be synchronous communication. Mm. And our pursuit of email as synchronous communication is just the new race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, if you decide that what you know at least in our customer service area we're going to get back to emails as fast as we can 
Well, then you have to set up your department to say, okay, there's one person who's going to be taking in the emails and emailing people and say, we got your message. Thank you. We'll get back to you, you know, or that automated service or whatever it is. But then you have to have the people who are solving the issues. Those people have to have time away from the taking in of the issues right. to do the solving. You right? know, what, you know, what's so ironic about this and you're absolutely right from an organizational perspective and, and like the PDA, the, the personal digital assistant, the pre precursor to the smartphone was meant to, um, which is basically what the smartphone is now, it was meant to make us more efficient and it allowed companies to decrease the amount of people in, in terms of support staff that they used to have. So you no longer have the secretarial pool, um, even at, at large corporations like and, and executives don't always have secretaries or personal assistants because we have yeah. this phone. We're reachable all the time. We don't need somebody to be taking in those calls. The irony is what you're suggesting is an organizational change that is actually retroactive, reverts back to what we, what we used to have, which is you have these people the, uh, that that handle the triage and then these people yeah. that handle the tasks and that is the, the the smartphone was meant to say oh we don't need the triage people anymore you can have you can you can be triaged wherever you go yeah it's it's interesting i think there's there are probably a couple of things that led to that you're right that the rise of the the pda um, was one factor that led to the the minimizing of support staff mm -hmm. but i think uh, um, I think our various sort of um, economic dips and recessions and things mm -hmm. and um, have also contributed to that. It's, you know, when the economy dips, the support staff are the first ones to go. Right. And then and then when the economy gets better, we don't act. But in fact, you know, I think the meta we I think the business world needs to take a cue from the medical field, which has done a really great job of saying, you know, you used to get a flu shot in your doctor's office. Mm -hmm. So the person who makes, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year with all this education is the one sticking a needle in your arm. Right. And then they figured out like, you know what, we could have a nurse do this. And you know what, we don't even need a nurse to do this. We can train a, a, a you know, $10 an hour person to stick a needle in your arm. We'll mm -hmm. call them a technician and we'll teach them how to give a shot. And then, and so we're saving all kinds of money. In in business, though, we don't do that very well. We say, no, 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 the senior level person with all the education and all the specialized knowledge is the one that, you know, taking the calls and booking appointments. And, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes we turn to technology, but the support staff, we need to offload some of this stuff. I can't tell you how many sales teams I've worked with who their biggest frustration is I got to solve my own tech problems. I got to book my own flights. Mm -hmm. I got to make my own client appointments. Like I just want to sell. If you just let me sell, I could sell so much more, but right. I'm bogged down in all of this junk. Right. So, you know, if we could take that lesson and, you know, really value support staff for how useful they can be. And sometimes there's technology that can take over for some of that. But, you know, I think I think still like a gatekeeper can be super helpful. And, you know, there's there's some things that machines and technology still can't do. And if we look to the medical field, I think we could learn a lot more. You know, I've heard that I've heard that ex expressed um, differently before, which is that we need to we need to start to figure out what we cost per hour for ourselves and yeah. then and then outsourcing everything that costs less than that right yes. so so if 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 x if x y or z task costs if it you know if you if for seven dollars somebody else can 
deliver your food, for example, uh, although, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a bad one, uh, or, or hang, hang pictures, right? right. At, at your office or your house. If you're getting paid $80 an hour, then pay somebody else $10 an hour to do that and do the thing that justifies your $80 an hour time. And we need to do that not only at work, but also in terms of how we evaluate our time in the rest of life. So if if what I want to be doing, if I, if my best job on the weekends is to be a good parent, then I need to start to outsource tasks that take away from my ability to be a good parent at, at the household. Um, and and you know obviously like money management plays into this. So if 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 saving money uh, is is a priority, then yeah, evaluate it through that matrix. But we really have have. A, have have passively allowed other people to make our time management decisions for us or our attention management decisions for us. And and I, I, we need to come up with rubrics to put ourselves back in that position where we are the ones making the decisions about our attention, I think. Absolutely. And I think there is a way to achieve this even with, um, you know, if if saving is is important to you, you know, I'm thinking about you saying, you know, hanging pictures in our office. One of the challenges that we have with managing our attention is that we don't take enough breaks. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't really give ourselves enough breaks. And even when we do take a break, what we think is a break really isn't a break. Right. right. So, for, for example, if your job is to, you know, read or write mm-hmm. um, and, and that's the majority of your projects and then you decide that you need a break and on your break you read the news or right. you read your Facebook screen, right, right, you, right. you know, your Facebook feed or your LinkedIn feed or whatever, that's not a break for your brain. Right. Your brain doesn't and know that so, that's a break. That's right. And so some of these things could be sort of creative outlets or, you know, sort of manual dexterity things that actually could be the right kind of break. Well, I'm going to take 15 minutes. Maybe I'll hang two of those pictures because it's mm-hmm. a different kind of work. 100%. It gets me up from my desk. Yeah. Right. Even if, if your, if your priority is to um, be, be a g- great parent on the weekend, but you have meals to prepare, well, how can you involve your kids in preparing the meals and teach them about nutrition and household right. finances and grocery shopping and other life skills at the same time? You know, you can make it a game for them. You can, you know, sort of involve them in the process, make it a teaching moment and achieve your goal of being a good parent on the weekend. So, we just have to really, but your point is exactly right. We just have to stop and think, you know, what are my priorities? Um, how am I managing my attention? When am I allowing my attention to be stolen? How can I regain control back over that? And, you know, the word that I use, how can I become empowered mm-hmm. over my attention, over my back over my life? How can I live a life of choice rather than a life of reaction and distraction? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that that is uh, that is said so well. Maura Thomas, the book is Attention Management: How to Create Success and Gain Productivity Every Single Day. Uh, the link to where to buy the book is in the show notes, uh, with all kinds of ways to harness your attention. Um, what 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 you know? Sort of, if I had to summarize what we've talked about so far today, basically, what we need to do is. We need to have a matrix through which we make decisions about what we give our attention to, and we need to reclaim that decision matrix for ourselves and not allow passively for technology and other people to make those decisions for us. Those decisions for us. So, uh, if that sounds like something you need, you need to click on the you need to click on the link and get this book. It is fantastic. Um, does that sound like a good uh, summary of what we what we need to be doing more? 
Very well said. Excellent. Um, thank, you, thank you so much. Uh, I've, I've taken up so much of your time. I am going to let you go. But before I let you go, there's two things I want to ask you. One is, where can people follow up with you? My website, maurathomas.com, is where you can find uh, all of my books and how to connect with me on social and all of that stuff. Okay. So link to the website in the show notes. And one last thing, and I ask it to everybody, what is something we can all start doing today to live our lives a whole lot better? Use technology, we, and we talked about this a bit, but use technology to serve you right. and use that as a test. Every time you introduce new technology into your life and every sort of feature of every technology you enter into your life, does this serve me? Mm-hmm. Is this here for my convenience mm-hmm. or is this going to lead me away from my priorities in some way? I got to say that is probably the biggest takeaway for me of our whole conversation today is is how am I evaluating stuff based on what it serves for me versus versus some versus how I'm a slave to it, um, and that that proactive conversation that I have to have with myself uh, is for me the most valuable thing in this. So I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your time today. We yeah, didn't really absolutely. even get to talk about. We'll have to have you back because we didn't even get to talk about the details of the empowered productivity system or some of the other stuff that that you've covered beyond just the basics of of, of getting back our attention. So uh, we'll have to have you back, and just uh, thank you so much for your time today. I would love to. Thanks, Gib. And isn't this isn't it wild that we even have to have to talk about this? I yeah. mean, how many? I have so many apps. I must have ten apps on my on my phone for making to do lists and everything. Yeah, and, and it just never never works out. Right. Yeah. So and you, look, we we need to turn the notifications off on our phone. We need to batch our email. We all know we need to do it, uh, but we are really hurting ourselves by not doing it. Uh, and there you go. So go ahead and check out more of Thomas's book. Link in the show notes as well as to the Brain FM app we talked about at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I love it when you just go wrap it up and go, and there you go. But wait, I've got a serious problem. What are you I know. We about? So you got to buy the book. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. The number one thing you guys can do for us is to rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, wherever you get your podcast. It makes a big difference for us if you guys do that. Also, share it with a friend. It will literally double our listenership. To follow up. Go to facebook.com slash John Tesh. It's where we spend most of our time. Uh, also, John is on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, on, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every DM because and, and, and mention because uh, I, I want to know what you guys think of the show and I want to improve the show. You guys are the reason we do it. So thank you so much for listening. That was, that was wonderful. But now uh, I just want to relax for a moment and just say... <laughs> When you get a moment, if you want to see Gib live, if you want to see some great comedy, you want to see him play the uh, the ukulele and sing Hallelujah. If you'd like to hear some stories about my life and feel better about yours through those stories, then just come. Just go to teshmusic.com. It's teshmusic.com. That's where all of our tickets and our count. We're, we're playing all over the United States in the in the next few months. And come uh, see us. Yeah, there's a there's a link yes. to teshmusic.com yeah. Yeah. in the show notes as well as to our online store where you can buy all kinds of stuff. And we're actually if you hit me up on social media. We're trying to think of designs that we can do for T-shirts or ways to show your support of the podcast. Uh, uh, if, so if you have any suggestions for that, yeah, let us yeah. know. We don't need all the music and the craziness. Just a nice little conversation. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell listen, your friends. To, listen to Intelligence for yeah, Life, the yeah. podcast. Tell your friends.